This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. We are looking at um, the passage in First uh, Thessalonians chapter one, uh, verses one through ten. So, if you have your Bibles or one of the modern contraptions, I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Um, you never, you can never tell today if people are googling or texting or are actually reading the word. You know. <laughs> So uh, I hope you're all concentrating on the word this morning. Um, I've taken for a message, the gospel according to you. The gospel according to you. And the theme of First Thessalonians, and as uh, Chris has got it up there, is being prepared for the return of Christ. Are we all prepared for the return of Christ? Praise the Lord. That's great to hear. Because I am glory to God. And... Uh, Depending what position you take, I have time to pre-trip, so I reckon uh, he'll be, it can be any time. So, got to be ready, folks, got to be ready. Okay, let's, uh, you didn't read this, did you, Chris? You read Acts 17, didn't you? Correct. Yeah, which is appropriate, because it tells about Paul being in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths, and uh, before he was run out of town. All right, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. What what a great greeting to the Thessalonian church. From Paul and Timothy and Silvanus to this church in Thessalonia, which is in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be great if we got a, a letter from an apostle today uh, to this church, the church, uh, Cornerstone Gospel Church, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great greeting that would be. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. And so it's always important that we pray for our church and pray for other churches too and keep them held up before the the throne of grace, constantly bearing in mind your work and faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved of God, his choice of you, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of Christ, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead that is Jesus 
who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, if I make a grab for the water, it's because my throat's a little bit dry this morning. I uh, had a surgery about 18 months ago, and on the night I take half a tablet, but it really makes me dry. And um, normally, if I'm preaching on a Sunday morning, I don't take it Saturday night, but out of habit, I took it last night, and so I'm a little bit dry. So, if I take a water break, you know why. Praise the Lord. So Paul opens this letter by referring to the Thessalonian church as the church in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's four couplets there that we see. Couplet number one, grace to you and peace. Here he's using the Greek and the Hebrew uh, greeting. And what do we learn from that? As the church today, you will never have true peace until you experience God's grace. Amen? It's only when you experience God's grace and saving grace in your life that you can really have peace. True peace. And then your work of faith. Good works are a product of living faith. You know, we're not saved by our works, as some would teach. We have good works because we're saved. Amen? And that is, as, as James tells us, evidence of the, our faith will be seen in our works. And a labor of love. What is a, a labor of love? You know, you can serve without loving, but you can't love without serving. You know, if you go to a, a, a restaurant, you'll be waited upon by a waiter or a waitress who will come and take your order, and then your order will be filled, and then... She will bring the order to your table, bring the meal to your table. But that's not a labor of love. She's getting paid for it, or he's getting paid for it. So what is a labor of love? Love, when you love people, when you love someone, you will do it because of that love. Amen? So that's the difference. So, a labor of love, these people had this labor of love. So, they were serving out of their love, not because they were getting some reward because of it. Then, hope and endurance. Hope gives you the power to hold on, even when you want to quit. Hope gives you the power to hold on, even when you want to quit. I have a young man now, he's probably late thirties, broken marriage, three children. And he was at the point in his life when he was about to take his life. But that particular night he came to church. He was brought along to church. And the message I was preaching talked about do not quit, do not give in, do not give up. That night he went away with a new hope. I've been discipling him now every week for 18 months. He's a new person because he has this hope, this hope that only the gospel can give. Amen? The only hope that Jesus can give in our lives. So we don't give in and we do not quit. 
I got a call on Thursday night from her mother. She's a member of our church. She said her daughter is on the verge of self-harming. Can you can we come over and have a chat with you? Now this girl gave her life to the Lord. She's a school teacher. She accepted the Lord a few months ago, just before Christmas. But she's never gone on with the Lord. But she came, she comes to church now and again, and she came over on, on Thursday night. She was with us for two and a half hours, and I counseled her and prayed with her. Thursday, she said, I see everything now from a different perspective. I'm no longer in the problem. I'm outside of the problem from God's perspective looking in. Isn't that great? And she said, can I be baptized? Glory to God. Glory to God. See, hope. Having only positive expectations. That's what hope is. And when we're in Christ, that's what we do have. Only positive expectations. And then he goes on, Paul, to speak about this church. In verses 1 to 3, we learn that it was an energetic church. It was a church that was full of energy to get out there and share the gospel. In verse 4, we find it was a church that was loved and chosen by God. And of course, the church of Jesus Christ is the church that's chosen by God because we are his church, amen? Then in verse 7 we see it was an exemplary church, an example to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. How wonderful it is when the church is an example of what Jesus Christ has called them to be. And uh, since I've been here last, I've been promoted within the denomination. I have now 14 churches in my circuit. So I have 14 churches to get around. And uh, it, it keeps me busy. And keeping them all energised. Because pastors do get down at times, you know. They, they do have their own problems. And so, having 14 churches in the western suburbs to uh, be supervisor over is a, is a pretty big job. But praise God, he gives me the enthusiasm to do that. To go out there and speak with other pastors, other leaders, and, and, and cheer them up if they need cheering up. Preaching their churches if they need someone to preach. I'm in a Filipino church next week. Uh, I'm in a mixed up Aussie church the following week. And uh, praise God. That's why I can't come here and uh, listen to Anton preach. I'll try and come on Saturday night though. That'd be great. And so it was an enthusiastic church. And in verse 10, we find it was an expectant church. And this is the most important thing, thing, folks. We need to be an expectant church. Amen? We are expecting the return of our Lord Jesus Christ to be taken, to be with him in glory. Hallelujah. That excites me. The older I get, every morning I get up and think, oh, another day. Glory to God. This might be the last one. And uh, I'm going to get the new body. No more surgery. No more problems. I'm prepared for his return. So, as we get into this message, I like to speak about uh, 
five things about the gospel. We learn about the gospel in the word. We learn about the gospel in, in power. We learn about the gospel through the Holy Spirit influencing our hearts and changing our minds, renewing our minds and with full conviction. Often I speak about the word gospel in my preaching. Or the gospel of the kingdom. I guess it's because the gospel is really good news. It comes from the, the Greek word euangeliso, which means good news. It's derived from an English word which means spell. God's spell or God's word. In the old English, spell was word. Uh, words evolve over the years and they change. But you uh, reading prior to the King James Version, well, you'll get this word popping up, but it means God's word. Now, in our modern vernacular, the gospel can be found in bluegrass gospel music, black gospel music, country gospel music, popular gospel music, and I'm sure we all listen to this. I don't know, uh, Natalie's not uh, giving me any attention at the moment, but do we have uh, jazz gospel music? We do. Oh, great, I'll miss one out. I've known Natalie for nearly 30 years, I think. So uh, we go back a long time. And then in literature, we find gospel tracts. We may leave one with someone to share the gospel after we witness to them. And then we have organizations. Cornerstone Gospel Church. What a better name could you have? Got the gospel in the title. And we have full gospel businessmen and all kind of other things. And, uh, of course, we've got the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But what is the gospel? Well, if we read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 to 4, Paul outlines it there. These are his words. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which also you stand, by which you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now in Romans 1.16, Paul refers to the gospel as the power of God unto salvation. In Romans 2.16 and 16.25 and 2 Timothy 2.8, Paul refers to the gospel as my gospel, his gospel. And then in 1 Thessalonians verse 5 here, he calls it our gospel. But today I want to ask the question, or pose the question, what is the gospel according to you? As we share the gospel with the unsaved, we are God's instruments. We are his disciples. We are his ambassadors participating in the process of God's plan of redemption for sin, sinful man. I love it when people call me during the week and tell me about the opportunities they've had to share the gospel. Wednesday night we had our Bible study and one chap before he left, he said, Oh, Paul, he says, uh, I, had, I had a chance to share the gospel today at work. And, and isn't that great? 
Wherever we are, we can share the gospel. And two Sundays ago, tonight, on the 1st of March, we, we had the Creation Ministries come along. And it, it was a great night. There was a, a number of visitors. But one young lady, she came forward for prayer afterwards. Not to re- receive salvation, but just to tell of her problems. And um, she was Indian origin, but she'd only been to India once in her life on a holiday. She'd been brought up in America. Her father was the ambassador from India to the US. So she'd been brought up in a consulate. And then she moved to Germany because her father was transferred as the ambassador to Germany. And then she lived in Russia and uh, for a little while. But then she got a scholarship to come to Australia to study psychology. Uh, and, and so she got this scholarship and... The thing is, uh, she's done one year, but uh, second and third year she's got to do in two years. So the pressure is on. But she came for prayer. But it turns out that she'd been brought up a Hindu. Even though she'd been living in Western countries, she'd been brought up a Hindu. And in that, a little bit of Catholicism. And um, she came, she asked for prayer, then we invited her around on Monday night to our prayer meeting. Uh, BJ was there. And uh, it was a long prayer. Uh, as we were praying, uh, this demon uh, grabbed her arm and was gripping her arm and she was in so much pain. So we had to pray and we, it, it moved on her arm and then BJ held her hand and, and then she was delivered. Praise God. And she gave her life to Jesus. And so wonderful. She was at church last week. And she's just on fire for the Lord now. And so uh, she's joining our young adults um, group as of tomorrow night. And uh, praise the Lord, she's, she's, she's showing all the signs of going on with the Lord. She's had an experience with the living Jesus, uh, an experience that she never had, although she had occult um, involvement. Uh, she's turning 21 next Saturday, I think. Someone spoke into her life, a clairvoyant, and said, from, from the age of 21, you will be seeing dead people walking. And that scared her. And uh, you see, we've got to be aware of people that speak into our lives. And not, she wanted to run out of the house, she said, when this lady spoke to her. But she's free from that now. Glory to God. And she's having her 21st birthday next Saturday and glory to God. We'll, uh, we're praying for her and uh, she will be going on with the Lord. Hallelujah. So it's wonderful to see people come to the Lord, accept the Lord as their Lord and Savior and have a completely new life. I'd like to uh, read you a poem. It's an adapted poem, it's not the original, but it was adapted by a guy called Leroy Brownlow. There's a gospel according to Matthew, to Mark, Luke and John too. There's another gospel many are reading, the gospel according to you. Many read not the words of the Bible, I will tell you what some of them do. They are reading the book that you are writing. The gospel according to you. You are writing a gospel, a chapter a day. 
by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithfulness or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? As Christians, people notice that we are different in a crowd. We are different in the workplace. We are different in our schools and universities. My young grandson, he's turned 18, went started uni. Uh, he, lives, he lives up in Queensland. And uh, he wrote to me, Granddad, this is the first time I've really enjoyed school. He said, I've joined a Christian group and I've joined the pro-life group. And he said, I'm so excited. And uh, I'm excited too as a granddad to see him going on in the Lord in, in this way. So the message we're going to look at has four aspects of Put peace. So the first one is the progenitor. Now the word progenitor means source. So uh, Paul wrote, we, we know, brethren, loved of God that he has chosen you. The word uh, loved and chosen, notice those two words. Where did the gospel originate? Was it some a great plan dreamed up by the prophets of the Old Testament? I don't think so. Was it contrived by the disciples? I don't think so. Then I think it was we can safely say it was born in the heart of God. It was God's intention to save mankind from the beginning. The whole of the Bible is about redemption. Paul echoed this sentiment in his letter to the church at Ephesus. For he chose, in the Greek it's eklego, it's a verb, it's middle voice. He chose for oneself, plural, us, in him before the creation of the world. To be holy and blameless in his sight. You see, he was in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind will of his intention. It was always God's will to redeem his people, to have a people for himself. Now, of course, as those of the Calvinist persuasion, they have a field day with these scriptures. If you were to ask me, Paul, when were you saved? I would say the 19th of September, 1976, at 9.50 a.m. Because I was watching the TV program, Rex Humbard. Anybody here remember Rex Humbard? You remember? Good on you, Darren. Rex Humbard. He used to come, sorry? You've only heard of him. Well, he used to have this program. He came in at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning uh, called The Cathedral of Tomorrow. And I'd watched him for a few weeks and then uh, on this particular day I knelt down by my TV and gave my, Lord, my life to the Lord. Changed my life. And um, what was I to do? No one witnessed to me. No one to disciple me. Where do I go? So uh, I had to find a church. And I was down in... I worked at Pentridge. So I was down in uh, the city one day, I was coming back up to Coburg uh, on Sydney Road, I was on the tram, 
and it stopped right outside the church, Brunswick Baptist Church. And he said a sign, family night, all welcome. Well, I was all alone, so I, I thought, well, this was on the Wednesday, I'm, I'm Friday, I'm going there. So a little bit sheepishly, I went there, but they warmed me so welcome, made me so welcome. What a warm welcome they gave me. And the pastor, uh, he said, if we can do anything, you know. So we, I had this meal, which was great, a cooked meal at the church. I started going to church on Sunday. I went to the adult Bible study on the Monday. I went to the all-age Bible study on the Wednesday. Uh, you couldn't, I just had to feed on the Word of God. And then, I was reading the New Life newspaper. Now it's online today. Anybody read the New Life newspaper? No? Okay, I'm going back too far, but it is available online today. And they had a few Bible colleges advertised. So I told the people at the church, I want to go to Bible college. No, 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 you can't go to Bible college. Why can't you go to Bible college? You're too young in your faith, you will lose your faith. We've seen it happen before with people that go to Bible college. You're going like a lamb, a lion, and you come out like a lamb. Well, I applied for Bible college, and I got saved in September. By February, February I was in Bible college. And my faith just got stronger and stronger. And within six weeks, I was teaching the Wednesday night Bible study. So it just shows what God can do in a person's life. He can change your life. Give you new hope. Through the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. Now, how did I get to that? You see, if you go to a Calvinist, he will tell you that he was saved from the creation of the world. He was always in God's mind to save him. And there's a friendly debate between Baptists. Because you've got the uh, Baptists that want to go out and witness and into missionaries, into missions, and then there's them that don't. There's a story of um, a young preacher. His name was William Carey. Anybody heard of William Carey? We've got Carey College. Yeah, okay. Ah, I'm getting there. And you see, William Carey was considered by the Baptist to be the father of modern missions. In the 18th century, he stood up in a meeting in London and implored the churches to send missionaries to India. An old Calvinist pastor... Baptist pastor stood up and said, Sit down, young man. When God decides to save the heathen, he will do it without your help. So sad. Of course, William Carey didn't take any notice of that. You see, Second Peter 3.9 tells us, The Lord is not wishing that any should perish but for all to come to repentance. I notice in Acts 17, as we read it today, verse 30, again we're told that God wants everyone. Everyone has an opportunity to be saved. And so how do we do that? By proclaiming the gospel, verse 5. Paul wrote, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. 
with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. When Paul was in Thessalonica, many of the Jews and Gentiles heard the gospel and turned to Christ. Paul said, as I pointed out earlier, there were four forces operating when he preached. It was the word of the gospel. It was the power of the gospel. It was the moving of the Holy Spirit and a deep sense of conviction, a deep sense of assurance within the people that they were saved. And we know that the Lord Jesus told his disciples after he ascended back to heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit to live with them. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the paraclete, meaning comforter, counselor and helper. Jesus also said that the Holy Spirit would convict sinners. He said in John 16, 8, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, we can preach the gospel, but it's the Holy Spirit that convicts people of sin. I had a preacher come, he was in our church, he's now left, but he said, whenever I preach, I've got to preach to convict the people. And I said, it's not you that does the convicting. It's the Holy Spirit that does the convicting, brother. So, then there are people that say that we don't have to speak the gospel. We call it the social gospel. You just do it by the way that you live. They say we never have to use words to witness about our faith. We only have to use our lifestyle. Anybody heard of Cardinal Bergoglio? Hmm. Not many questions answered this morning. Well, he took the name of Francis when he became Pope. Now do we know of him? Okay. You see, he wanted to identify with Francis of Assisi. Saint Francis of Assisi. There's a statement attributed to Francis of Assisi. It goes like this. They say that Francis said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. It's a good quote for them, for the social gospelers. But it's, I don't think it's quite accurate. You see, the best sources that speak of uh, Francis of Assisi say he used to go out and preach four times a day. He would go around to the villages, he'd stand on hay, hay carts and anything he could find to preach the gospel. And those that write, write about him, the biographies say he was, he was like a, a Billy Graham out there preaching, or Jonathan Edwards. But you see, if we take the attitude that we don't have to use words to tell people about the gospel, it's like saying, feed the hungry, but don't use food. Feed the hungry without any food. In fact, the Bible says the gospel must be preached. Here again, we see Paul in, in Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. 
How then can they call on one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So I think Paul answered the, uh, the, any doubt that might be in uh, people's minds of the social gospel. And then we know about the power of the gospel. Paul wrote, you became imitators of us and the Lord. It's important to remember that when Paul preached to the people in Thessalonica, they didn't have the four gospels. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke and John like we have today. They hadn't been written yet. And all they had to go by were the example of Paul and Silas and Timothy and the Tanakh, the Old Testament, which is, he was reasoning from the Old Testament to them. You know, the, we often hear of the threats that are in the world today. Today we've got the coronavirus and uh, everybody's going, hey, why my son got back from Japan last night with his family. He was supposed to be running in the marathon there. And uh, he's 49 years of age and running marathons. But um, it was cancelled because of the coronavirus. So he and his wife uh, still went with their two, two, two boys. And um, he said, I'm not going to waste the money. I'm going to go. And he said, it doesn't bother me, the coronavirus. Anyway, they went there. They said 97%, no, no 70%, he said this morning when he arrived back. Uh, 70% were wearing masks, he said, but he said, we didn't have any problem, we never saw anybody coughing or sneezing, he said, and when we got on the aeroplane, they sat the four of us together, we were separated from other people, there wasn't many people on the plane, he said, and I got in the taxi when I got home, and the taxi driver's coughing all the way here. So he said, don't come near me, Dad. (coughs) This was a quarter quarter to twelve last night, yeah. So he, he left his car at our house. And so, you know, four years ago, they were worried, we were worried about nuclear war. Remember, remember little rocket man? North Korea, Kim Jong-un. He bragged that he had rockets that would, nuclear missiles that could target New York, Washington, D.C., uh, San Francisco, and Austin, Texas. We know that nuclear power is probably the greatest power in the world. But there's one greater. There's one greater. Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is a power. The power. The dynamite. I don't like the preachers say dynamite. I, I like dynamo. A dynamite dis- destroys. A dynamo gives energy. Amen. It gives, fills up the battery to keep going. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. God's desire is that everyone should experience this power. His desire is to save men and women and boys and girls and then transform them to become like Jesus. What does it mean to be imitators of Paul, his companions and the Lord? Does it mean we have to grow a beard, wear sandals, long hair? Well, I can't have long hair. And I guess you ladies can't grow beards. 
so it doesn't mean that either. Paul is talking about the inner qualities that we are to have. You know the inner qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Even a lot of, a lot of Christians lose that. You know, we're driving along in the car. I hate, I hate driving the car with my wife as a passenger. Slow down. Speed up. What are you in this lane for? Swap lanes. Then someone pulls in front of you. Blow your horn! Don't you know what the horn's there for? I said, we might have road rage, you'll get out and bash me. Everything's fine. Self-control. And so, well, God's will for us, for you and for me this morning, is to live for Christ. To become Christ-like. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring out these qualities within your life. And then what does Paul tell us in Philippians 4, 6? And we know that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. What a promise! The work that God started in you whenever that date was, he will bring to completion. If you remain in the Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, it's so important to walk in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. Paul speaks of walking in the Spirit. He says it twice. First of all, when he says it the first time, it means walking in line, step by step with the Holy Spirit, the comfort of the paraclete. And then when he uses it again in verse 26, he's talking about Walking as a congregation. We are all to work together, to walk together in this ministry God has given us. That's God's will for our lives. Even in severe suffering, Paul wrote, in spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. See, following Jesus doesn't make us immune to suffering, unfortunately. In fact, it makes us a target for suffering. Paul was run out of town for preaching the gospel. And Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then he said, Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward. In heaven, great is your reward in heaven. So if anyone is feeling down in the ministry, rejoice, Paul is saying. There is glad and there is exceedingly glad. Jesus said we should be exceedingly glad when we suffer for his sake. That doesn't mean that you put on a fake smile and ignore the pain. The pain is real. But in the midst of your pain, You can make a choice to rejoice. The psalmist wrote, Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Be wonderful if life was a bed of roses and we would never suffer. 
If only it was. But that's heaven, not earth. Job knew something about trouble and suffering. He wrote, man is born to trouble as sure as sparks fly upwards. C.S. Lewis wrote these words, God whispers to us in our pleasures. We don't hear God when we're enjoying ourselves. But he shouts to us in our pain. Suffering is God's megaphone to awake the sleeping world. President Trump yesterday announced today as a national day of prayer in America. It's time that they woke up. Our Prime Minister, a Christian, is he calling for us to have a national day of prayer? Wake up, Australia! Wake up. Listen to the poet. I walk a mile with laughter. She chatted all the way. But I was none the wiser for all she had to say. Then I walked a mile with sorrow. And not a word she said, but to all the things I learned when sorrow walked with me. Christ has given us a promise. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it was not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I shall return the rapture. I shall return that where I am you may be also. Glory to God. What a promise. Jesus is coming for his church. In conclusion, I'd like to share a little story. A famous missionary, a medical doctor, a physician, David Livingstone. Anybody heard of him? Oh, great. David Livingstone, we had to learn about him when I was in primary school. It's part of our history. David was a successful Scottish physician. He attended a meeting where he heard a missionary from Africa, Robert Moffat, speak. Moffat said, on a clear morning, the smoke from a thousand villages could be seen where the name of Jesus has never been heard. That vision was burned into Livingstone's mind. So he travelled with Moffat on his return journey to Africa. Livingstone married Moffat's daughter, Mary. He gave his life to the people of Africa. He travelled so far into the depths of Africa that even his guides believed that they were at the end of the earth. David found a towering waterfall which he named Victoria Falls in honour of the Queen of England, Queen Victoria. All during this time, Livingstone preached Christ, healed the sick, and prepared some of the earliest maps of the interior of Africa. At one point, he was lost for six years in the interior. The New York Herald hired a a famous British explorer, Henry Stanley, to travel into Africa to search for Dr. Livingstone. After traveling many weeks, Stanley came upon a white man the only white man within thousands of miles, and he uttered his famous line that drips with British understatement, Dr. Livingstone, I presume. Of course it was. You've probably heard that part of the story. Stanley was not a Christian. He was a rough and coarse man, a wicked man by his own estimation. 
But meeting Livingstone changed his life. Livingstone did not have to preach the Bible to Stanley. He just showed him the love of Christ. Stanley wrote, For four months and four days I lived with him in the same hut, in the same boat, the same tent, and I never found a fault in him. I went to Africa prejudiced against religion as the worst infidel in London. But little by, see, little by little, seeing his piety, his gentleness, his zeal, his earnestness, and how he went quietly about his business, I was converted by him. A few months later, on May the 1st, 1873, Livingstone was found kneeling by his cot, dead. By his request, his heart was removed and buried in Africa before his body was mummified and returned to England where his corpse received a hero's welcome. Before his death, Livingstone had begged for supporters in England to send another missionary to replace him when he died. Nobody responded to the appeal. Eventually, eventually, there was a preacher who took up Livingstone's missionary work. Who was that? Henry Stanley. Henry Stanley. The challenge for me and you this morning, if someone followed you around for four months, would the words you speak and the deeds you perform make them want to convert to Christ? Brothers and sisters, we we know the gospel. We know the source of the gospel. We know the hope of the gospel. Salvation and the return of the Messiah. So let me finish with this. As you live this gospel daily to the glory of God, you may lead a soul to Christ. As you share the good news of the gospel with those ripe to receive it, such as Christa last Sunday night, two Sundays ago, you will lead a soul to Christ. Jesus is alive today, amen? Do you believe that? Jesus is alive today. Only he has the power to fill you with hope. Only he can fill the voids in your life. I worked for 45 years in the prison system. Drug addicts. Prostitutes. People from all walks of life. Empty. To introduce Jesus to them. Their lives change. Only he can infuse you with promise. Only he can transform your anxiety into joy. Only he can take you from fear to courage. Only he can take you from addiction to freedom. Only Jesus has life in himself. So it's my prayer this morning that Christ, who had victory over death, Christ who walked out of the grave to live forevermore. Christ who was raptured from the mountain, from the Mount of Olives, when he was ascended. That he will imbue you with the power of the Holy Spirit today to live the holy life he has called you to live. Are you writing a gospel a day? by the deeds that you do and the words that you say, 
Men may read, men may read what you write, whether faithfulness or true. But as you go out tomorrow, what is the gospel according to you? Father, we do thank you, Almighty God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the writings of the Apostle Paul. We thank you, Lord, that he was an imitator of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who you've sent, that he might fill us, that he might empower us, that he may empower us and fill us with the, the fruit of the Spirit, which you've read about. Lord, may we go out this week, whether it be to school or to an office or a factory or whatever, to university, we just pray, Almighty God, that we will know your presence. And we pray, Lord, we will know your power. And Lord, that you will give us the unction to preach the gospel to anyone who wants to hear it. We ask it in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.